Hi, I'm Madeline. And I'm Rickard. We're from the band Elaine. You're watching CMS TV. It's a brand new band with a hard rock edge that's going to seem similar to you, although they are very distinct in their sound. Who are we talking about? It's Corvus Lore, and we will talk to the guitarist and vocalist of the band, Mr. Ryan Jones, next, right here on Chris Aiken Presents. Chris Aiken presents and I, of course, am Chris Aiken. And as you guys know, I love to introduce you to bands that maybe you have not heard of. And um, this is one of them. This is one I'll be honest. I had not heard of until the publicist came knocking and uh, was like, here, you got to play this. And, you know, the funny thing is I actually had heard a little bit, but I really didn't investigate. Shame on me, I guess, because the the label head we had on um, Tim Narducci from Valley of Fire, I don't know, six, eight months ago. And he was like, you got to hear this band. You got to hear this band. And as I do so many times, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I didn't hear the band. So <laughs> but uh, I've caught up now. The band is called Corvus Lore. And um, they have a new single out called Romantic Romantic Traffic, which we will get into as well as some of their other work. And here to talk all about it is the vocalist and the rhythm guitarist of the band, Mr. Ryan Jones. Ryan, how are you, man? Excellent, Chris. Thanks for having me. Sure, man. Well, dude, as I said, I was not super familiar until recently, but I did dug, dig into not only the two songs that are out there, but the... Uh, the album from 2019. I like this stuff, man. It is. I'm going to make a comparison, which I know is kind of shitty for, you know, you guys to have to live up to somebody else's expectation. But if I was telling somebody for the first time what to expect, I would say that this is more of a, like a, a dirtier version of velvet revolver. You know, it, it, your voice definitely has that Wyland thing going to it. And it's got that kind of slashy sort of blues bass guitar, man. It's, I like it. I, I love what you're doing, man. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, the first album, you know, was done. Gosh, I want to say, yeah, it was 2019. I think you said, yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been that long. Um, and then with the recent one, Lucida that, you know, we're just releasing singles right now. Um, we don't know when the full album is going to drop probably sometime next year. We're okay. going to do another single, but yeah, I think uh, a lot of our influences are, you know, band wise, definitely. I think if you had to compare, yeah, uh, we do get the STP thing. We do get the Zeppelin thing. Um, we get the Colt thing. We get the R rival sons thing. And you know what? 
I'll take all of it. <laughs> those are all those are all amazing bands. We're not trying to sound like them. We're just being ourselves, and that's just what comes out. Sure. Well, maybe five years from now, people will be saying, "You know who you sound like? Corvus Lore." You know, other people say, that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But well, dude, uh, you are no stranger to this business, man. You've been in this ba- business quite a while, man. And uh, I was fascinated reading reading in your bio that you were at one point, you know, band guy. And then you made the transition into being session guy. I, I know a million musicians and I never understand how you guys do this simply because every musician that I know has that hunger for the fame and has the hunger for the glory and not as much the hunger for just, you know, making a living doing this. So what was it for you that went into that decision and, and how did you end up becoming more of a session guy for a long period of time? Yeah, well, it wasn't by design. Um, it was a little more accidental than anything else. I was living in Simi Valley at the time, and I was in a band uh, with those called August Again. This is like in the 90s. Right. And um, in that band was the drummer, Darren Leader, who was a drummer for Steel Panther. Right. And uh, the band broke up. Darren went off and did his thing. And obviously he's kicking ass and he's just amazing. Sure. And Bob Pace, the lead guitarist of that band had his own recording studio. And, and he and I always just continue to write. Well, since the band broke up and then I actually met my future wife in Northern California on a crazy trip, we just found ourselves. I actually found myself really in between places at a time. And I just, you know, again, just felt like, yeah, you know, music is in my DNA. So the only way I kind of kept things going was I would travel down to LA and I was recording my own music in the studio. But along the way, I was also getting pickup gigs from other people who were going into that same studio, right? And they needed a vocalist or anything like that. And I was just getting, you know, little gigs that way. So it just kind of accidental. Sure. Is that for, for a musician and for a creative person, is that, is that at all satisfying or do you just feel like it becomes a job? That's a great question. Um, I sometimes just would not really take the gig. If, if it didn't resonate, you know, okay. it, it's got, it's got to feel good. It's got to, it's like, if you hear something like, Oh shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm all over this. Right. Sure. Um, but uh, you know, you just, pick and choose. So it didn't, it didn't really become a job. Actually, I felt honored and, and just blessed that, you know, someone's like, Oh, they want me on this. Okay. Sure. I'll take it right on, man. Well, dude, at some point here, 20, 20, whatever years later, you make the decision to go back to the band world. Um, what, what went into kind of stepping back out of the, out of the studio and into the, into the trials and tribulations of forming a band and putting, you know, and living as a band now. Yeah, it was. So as I made my move to Northern California, eventually this, the, you know, driving down to LA every other weekend, putting 700 plus miles on your cars, you know, a little, uh, <laughs> a little tiring. Right. And uh, I just met other musicians up here. And uh, connected with, you know, the guys, you know, Mike Bonetto, the bassist, Joey Cloutier, the drummer, and Eric Frazier, the guitarist. And it just organically happened. And the next thing that we knew was like, oh, uh, shit, I think we might have a band. And so it just, again, it was accidental. And there you go. I mean, 
music's in your DNA. You never lose it. So it's always going to find a way into your life, whatever, you know, form it takes. There it is. Sure. What, how long was it? Um, once you guys got the nucleus together before you decided or tried to write music together, you know, the band. So we had one rehearsal, um, where we got together and just played just, of course we didn't have, you know, any songs written for the, between the entire band. I always had original music. I actually never, I never really dabbled in the tribute world or, cover world or anything like that to me it's always been about just doing original music so when we got together after that first rehearsal you know it was like okay there's there's some awesome chemistry here let's just dive in and we just started writing original music right away right on now did you as a studio guy i'm asking this question did you immediately start recording what you were doing or did you just jam in a jam spot? Cause I, I would think as a studio guy, you might be more inclined to capture everything that you're doing and then kind of weed through it after to, you know, pick out the parts you want to keep. Right. How many times have you heard, you know, bands wish they could record the album after they do the tour. <laughs> right? right. Because you figure stuff out and we didn't, we didn't jump in the studio right away. Actually, it was probably, I want to say a couple of years after. Um, I, I was always anxious to get back in the studio, but, you know, we just continued to ride and jam and vet things out and, you know, make sure, you know, it was something that we felt really good about. You know, there's a lot of songs that you present that, you know, end up on the, the cutting room floor. You know, as you know, you know, songwriting is, it's not easy. No. it's mind-boggling hard if, if you want to put a good product out there and also a product that you feel really proud of so we didn't hit the studio right away we just okay. uh continue to jam gel as a band create that chemistry and just kind of find our sound sure did you guys have to figure out how to write and what i mean is it i mean for people that don't know your band is not it's not you who's a studio guy and three guys it's it's all accomplished guys, yeah. which yeah. a lot of times in a creative situation makes the additional difficulty of figuring out who writes what and who doesn't write what, or if you truly collaborate. So did you have to, did you have to kind of find your way to how to write as well as actually writing? You know, we, so yeah, to your point, everybody's collaborating in the writing process. Okay. Um, but there, there are, you know, we find ourselves where traditionally it's, it's typically like where I'm, I have the idea, you know, it comes to me, whether I'm walking down the street or in the freaking shower or something like that. It's like, it's like my brain is never off. It's always writing and melodies are dropping. So typically I will come to the band, I will have an idea, maybe it's a riff, maybe it's more of a complete structure and I have the melody, maybe I'll have some scratch vocal, uh, you know, um, lyrics to it and then just walk in the room and throw it at the band and everybody goes, Oh, I hear this. I hear that. Or let's try this and let's try that. And we'll venture down one path or another. And eventually, you know, we figure it out together and, and just, you know, let, you know, everybody just have their say on it. Now, is there disagreements? Yeah. Sure. Of course there are, you know, all the time, you know, but, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great process 
because we all learn from each other. And I find writing is one of the most difficult things with it is being open. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's, now, it's, it's hard. No, it definitely, I can't do it. <laughs> I'll admit that I can't do it. I've tried for ages to write songs and I've written two in 25 years. So I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm not good at it at all, man, but you know, I I'm always fascinated in these kind of situations. You know, you get a band that comes together. You've got one guy that has significantly more tentacles, I'll say into the business. Does that automatically make you the band leader or do you kind of kind of shun that purposely so that the band, you know, gels as a unit? Yeah, it's, it's funny. <clears throat> Why is it that the lead singer is always considered the band leader? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't I, I don't like it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, did, I, I look at, you know, all of us, you know, we're we're leaders in our own right and we all have something amazing to con- contribute. And, you know, obviously the band doesn't work if one of us is missing. I mean, it, it's ne- it never will be the same. You know, uh, Eric, he, you know, the lead guitarist, he's had, you know, a lot of success in the business. You know, he was in a Latin pop band, Latin sure. pop rock band. And, you know, Mike was a, you know, session bassist. And, you know, Joe was in you know, a really big original uh, hard rock band called Big Wood that had a lot of success. And so, you know, I mean, we don't, there's no egos. There's none of that. Like, you know, I have more clout or more experience. It's all just walking in together and going, what you got? Let's do something. And, you know, let's lead this thing together. Right on, man. Well, you guys did do something. And in, in, like we said, in 2019, you put out the the first release and now you've, um, you you've kind of you're working on the newest release, which is like you said, coming in 2023. What differences do you feel that you've made as a band? Is it just, you know, development because you're you've been together longer or do you feel like you've grown as songwriters or as musicians or as a unit or what? What do you think is different now from then? Yeah, I listened to when we first got together and where we're at now. It's like the music is totally different. Sure. It's, it's still Corvus lore. Our writing has become, I, I, I don't want to say it's always been complex, but it's definitely, it's, it's deeper in a way to where we really dissect the living crap out of every song. Um, you know, you know, you get, you get in the room and, and Michael Neto is going like, Oh, you know, uh, I'm playing a C over an E blah, blah, blah. And it, it, it just, that doesn't sound right. And we just go down these rabbit holes all the time. So we're always like trying to improve our craft as writers, really. Sure. Um, Writing is where it all begins. I mean, you think about it, right? Everything stems from writing. So if you get, you know, your craft down with writing, you know, down to a science, then obviously the product is going to come forth is going to be even that much better. So as a band, I think our writing has greatly improved. Um, it's definitely miles ahead from where we were before. And then as a band, you know, chemistry wise. Yeah. I mean, we just continue to gel even more and more and more. So uh, we're just, you know, hopefully that continues and we kind of push the boundaries just to become, you know, even that much more diverse. Right on. Well, dude, uh, the first song that you've shared of the new material is a uh, boxing ballerina that you <laughs> has the video out for it. And it's a, it's a very cool song. 
probably the most STP of, of the 10 or 11 songs that I've heard. It definitely has that flavor to it. So um, tell me a little bit about the song and about the video. Yeah, Boxing Ballerina. That was a fun video to shoot, first of all. So um, the video itself was shot in a, a professional boxing ring in San Jose, California. Uh, the owners of the venue uh, facility just were kind enough to not only let us rent the space out, but also set up our gear in an actual boxing ring. Nice. Uh, it was really cool. And, and they actually were extras participating in the background shots as well. Boxing Ballerina essentially is about um, the little battles that we all have with very, you know, uh, with significant others in our lives, right. right? Whether it could be, you know, your family member, close friends, whatnot, where you have major, major differences and you kind of duke it out, you know, between each other, we take our licks and bruises. We're going to get bloodied up a little bit, but in the end of the day, it's all about, you know, the love that you have for one another and we can move past those things. Um, and so the, what I wanted to show in the video was if you look at the, 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 the people boxing in the ring, it's like, why is this? There's totally two different walks of life battling it out. That's what we experience day in and day out, right? It, it is your sister. It is your mom. It is your wife. It is your husband. It's, it's all these differences that we have where we're, we're duking it out all the time, but we do find a way to come together in the end. So I wanted to depict that in the video. And that's why you see the different characters boxing it out in the ring. So that was really cool. And, but yeah, uh, Mike Slope, the video director and producer, who's also the same director. We teamed up with him again for Romantic Traffic. I mean, we could, we could, <clears throat> we could talk about Mike for like three hours. The guy's phenomenal, <laughs> but um, he did a hell of a job piecing that video together, editing it just as he did with Romantic Traffic. And uh, he he won a you know Poppy Jasper International Film Festival for that video for Best Rock category. So pretty cool video. It was shot in seven hours. Wow. I mean, wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. We're we we're out of there. Right. Cool. <laughs> Very good. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan. Why don't we uh, let the let the people that are watching get a taste of it? So here, here is Boxing Ballerina. It is the um, one of the new singles from the band Corvus Lore. Um, and we will be back in a few with more with Ryan Jones right here on Chris Aiken Presents. Boxing Ballerina, brand new music from the band Corvus Lore. You can definitely check them out now on all of your streaming locations. Uh, make sure that you do. That is C-O-R-V-U-S-L-O-R-E. Two words, 
Corvus lore. Make sure you go and check it out. Give them a couple of plays. It definitely helps helps people get to discover the band. And um, we are talking with Ryan Jones of the band Corvus lore to uh, find out more about what's going on with you guys. And Ryan, um, so far you're, you're releasing singles and I know that's sort of becoming the new way, you know, in, in the industry for somebody that's been in the industry, as long as you have, is that comfortable or does that feel really kind of weird to not be putting 10 or 12 songs together to give to people to, to really experience what you guys are? It's weird for me. Okay. It really is. I mean, we're all used to buying the full album, right? Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was like a kid, I got five bucks for allowance every week and albums back then cost $7 and 42 cents. I remember it really well. <laughs> right. I'd go down and I'd buy the latest, you know, album and I had a little change left over. So sometimes I could buy two albums in in one week and I'd have to wait an extra week. You always got the full package and yeah, it's, it's a little different. Um, you know, I think obviously technology aids to that nowadays. Sure. And personally, I understand why, right? You get some, mm-hmm. some, some, some legs out of it and your runtime out of it. And, but uh, yeah, business wise, it makes sense, but I struggle with it, to be honest with you. I don't sure. know. What, what's your preference, Chris? I, I, I'm an album guy and you know, I, I, I always point to it's, if you're Megadeth or a band like that, yeah, you could put out a single and people will, you know, play it a million or zillion times. If you're a new band, it is so easy to get lost because if you don't impact somebody in the first 15 seconds, they may never hear from you again. And that's, that's a tough sell right there. You know, I I'm with you. I, I need, I, especially with new bands, I need to sink my teeth in. I, I need to hear eight, 10 songs and really say, okay, I sort of, even if I don't love all the songs, I can appreciate that. I like what the band is doing. And, you know, look forward to the next release or to, or keep listening to it, to find it. So it's a, you know, I, 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 you remember that guy, that guy sigh that had the Gungan style video. I know it's a different kind of music, but <laughs> yes, remember that guy, right? He had a, he had a billion with a B plays of his one song. Where is he? Oh yeah. You know, he's gone. where, Where's he? Where's the next song? What was the next song? Does anybody remember? And that that to me is the danger of not not having a collection of music to either grow with or say, yeah, it's not for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, again, that goes back to the importance of songwriting to make sure that every song that you're putting on the album really supports each other in a lot of ways. I look at, you know, the new album we did with Tim Narducci and Valley of Fire Records where, you know, every song on there, in my opinion, can be a single. I mean, they're all really strong songs and they're different. I mean, there's a track in there, Sparrow in the Sun, that uh, is all acoustic. It's it's totally different. So, but it fits. It's still Corvus lore. So, yeah, if you're just going to be, you know, know, just try to put that one super mega hit or that you think is going to, you know, work for you, you give an appetite for it, you better provide the rest of the meal. So, and that's, right. that's kind of like where we're at with Lucida. We think we, we got a pretty good collection of songs, with Lucida, 
Very good, man. Well, you mentioned Tim and Valley of Fire. Uh, for people that don't know, Valley of Fire is a new new label that is um, being put together with Tim Narducci, who's best known for uh, Systematic or um, Spiral or, Arms, or Spiral Arms, or yeah. the Watchers, the Watchers. Or, you know, a lot, lot of great bands. For for you, what was it about? about coming to Valley of Fire? Was it just that it was a label that was interested or is it the fact that Tim is a musician first and a label guy second, so he gets what you're trying to do or a little of both or what? You hit it on the head with where it was Tim's a musician first. Right. And when he, we went in to record with him, he was just, I mean, he really, I think Tim just has an amazing ear and just incredible writing chops as well. And then pieces all that together in production in a way to where when he was listening to the collection of the songs, he just told us, hey, you guys, he was he was super supportive and said, you guys, this is really great material. And he wanted to get behind it 110%, and he did. I mean, look at the product he produced. I mean, you once you hear the full album, I mean, the production in it is amazing. The mixing of it is amazing. And that's all Tim. But when we started speaking with Valley of Fire, Valley of Fire was all about, we don't care what kind of music you guys are playing. We just, we just are all about behind great music. That's okay. all we care about. You know, you get some labels that are all about like, they're going to be, you know, the, the heavy metal label or the R&B label and all mm-hmm. that. Valley of Fire is all about fantastic music and we'll stand behind any of it. And so that's what really resonated with us with them is that we knew when signing on with them is because they truly believed in us and they believed in the music. And that, to me, that's the most important thing. Sure. And it doesn't hurt either that they're not signing 400 bands to where you get lost yeah. in the shuffle. You know, when they put you out, they're going to put you out and they're going to work just you for a little while, which is probably better than most people get with a deal these days. Right. Yeah. I, I think I could be wrong. Uh, maybe JJ Garcia, the, the other co-founder and Tim will slap me after his, but I think we were the first band they signed to the label. I think other than just the watchers themselves. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good place to be, man. So, so Ryan, um, you know, the big question in everybody's mind these days is the ability to get out and play. You know, it's still, it's still weird. It's, it seems like it's better. You know, it seems, it seems like it's better. But I've been to a few shows and shows that I expected to be very full that were very not. You know, it, what what do you um what do you guys plan or are you trying to plan as far as getting out there and not only playing out there, but playing, you know, around the country? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think people are still it is interesting. I, I mean, just speaking with just Tim Narducci the other day about a recent gig he had, you know, it's just saying it's hit and miss with people coming out and yeah. You know, I get it. If, if people are still freaked out, um, you know, okay, that's fine. But to me, it's like, <laughs> I need to go forward and live my life. Right. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So, you know, fear is the enemy. So I'm not going to let it rule me. Um, but we are, we are, we have a gig coming up November 5th at in Concord at Benny's. And then we have a gig at the end of January. I think it's 
January 27th, with, which is actually going to be like a Valley of Fire themed uh, at night. The Watchers are playing, Corvus okay. Lord is playing. Um, so we're, we're, we're being actually, you know, Chris, this may sound a little funky, but we're actually being very selective too at the same time around what sort of gigs we play. Sure. Um, you know, we want to make sure we put the band in the best uh, represent, representative spotlight as possible and uh, just build upon that. I mean, it's, of course, it's, it's about being out there and front and center and, you know, having people see and hear you live is super important. Um, so we continue to push live. We want to get out of the state. Um, we're working with the label right now on some some opportunities where hopefully we could start gigging around outside of the state as well. So take it nationwide, baby. That's that'd be <laughs> awesome, right? Well, so, there you go. We're trying to do. Right. Well, hopefully we'll tune it. We'll turn on some people around the country to hearing the band and at least at least start building the fan base <laughs> with this. So um, I'll tell you what, Ryan. Um, why don't you tell people where we should send them online to keep up with you and to keep up with Corvus Lore and all that stuff? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously you got CorvusLore.com. You could you know, track us and follow us there. All the music is streaming on all those services, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, all that. There's also the Valley of Fire YouTube channel. You can find us there. So, um, yeah, I mean, just the usual suspects, you know, just go to your favorite places like that. You know, whether it's Facebook or Instagram as well, you know, you'll, you'll find us there as well. Right on. Is there actual merch that people can buy yet or not yet or? Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, we have a handful of, of some shirts right now in the band right now. We're, we're up on our game on the merch side of things. So more merch to come. So, yeah, it's it's uh, another piece of the pie that we're, uh, we're pulling together. Sure, because I always tell everybody, buy something. doesn't matter what you buy, but buy something if you like the band. Because streaming is really be quality. Don't- it's right. got to be quality, right? Who's going to wear a shitty shirt? It's got to be high quality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very nice, man. Well, dude, I figured we would wrap this one up with the uh, latest video for Romantic Traffic. Um, why don't you tell people a little bit about the song and about the video? Yeah. So in a nutshell, Romantic Traffic is about some crazy travels I've had over the past couple of years, specifically speaking back and forth with Asia. Um, it is you know, when you travel, there's always this fantasy around it, like it's glamorous and all that. We've all traveled, right? But it can be grueling. And that's really what the song is about. It's just my travels, how grueling it was and taxing it was and stressful with, you know, relationships um, with significant others and just, you know, your family and friends. And so there's a dirtiness to traveling and um, a lot of uncertainty and just a lot of unknown. So, um, you know, I felt like I just needed to get that down on paper and, and put a song together about it. And as I was writing the lyrics, you know, every single lyric in that song actually has a very significant meaning. Pretty much all of our songs are the same way. But there are specific events that I, you know, had throughout my travels where I capture in each line. And so, that's the physical side of it, but then the mental side of it as well. So romantic traffic is really about the traffic that's going through your head while you're enduring all that. So taking that and then trying to capture that in a video, which was really fun. It's kind of, it's kind of cheeky and, you know, comedy. That's what we wanted. So we had, you know, again, teamed up with Mike Slope. We had the script all laid out. 
finding the locations was probably one of the most challenging things, but uh, it was all filmed up in the Santa Rosa, California area. Um, and we wanted to depict, you know, me being in these crazy situations all the time in the back of the cab with the no space etiquette person in the back and the cabbie who's like, he plays like, you know, Dan O'Jason who plays his coked out cabbie driver, you know, then you get to the plane and, you know, the crew getting on the plane is obviously, you know, not the most up and up, you know, they're, (laughs) so we just wanted to depict that whole thing. And, um, show everybody you know the other side of travel but you know have some fun at the same time right on well let's check it out right now this is romantic traffic it is corvus lore make sure you check it out yourself on youtube not just here and um ryan thanks so much for joining me here on chris aiken presents awesome chris thanks for having me and it's a pleasure to meet you and get acquainted with your uh, audience What's going on, everybody? It is Chris Aiken from the Classic Metal Show. And I know a lot of you guys love watching the videos of the Classic Metal Show, but you want it on your TV. Now, there's a number of ways that you can do it, but one of the easiest ways is just to install the Roku channel that we have for the Classic Metal Show. If you go to the Roku store, which is located at Roku.com, and you simply type in Classic Metal Show, you're going to get a page that shows up just like this one. Of course, you're going to need to be logged in, but then all you'll do is you'll click Install right here, and it will install it to your Roku. It's that simple. And then you can get all the episodes every week of the Classic Metal Show, as well as Chris Aiken Presents, and they will be updated as they release. So you'll get new episodes every day. It's just like having a regular channel like like NBC or whatever on your Roku. Now you've got the classic metal show on your Roku. So make sure you get it. Just go to the Roku.com website and do a search in the channel store for classic metal show. And the CMS will be with you all week long. All right, cool. Hail and kill.